Hello and welcome back. I'm Steve Murphy, a trust and estates attorney with McGuire Woods LLP. And this is Legacy Planning Once Removed, my podcast on estate planning, trusts, property, family, legacy, and everything else on my mind. So spoiler alert, this is my favorite episode thus far. I don't want to offend the other episodes on taxes and structures of trusts and choosing the right trustee and Warren Buffett and Aretha Franklin and Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis. But this is my favorite episode. This is an episode on a broader topic, the transfer of wealth. And this is what I really enjoy counseling clients about, the real meaning of their legacy and the best way to share it. But let's not just think about taxes. Let's think big picture. Let's think estate planning adjacent. Let's think estate planning once removed. So taking a step back, what do we mean by the transfer of wealth? Studies show that for many individuals, the most important part of their legacy is not money or even a family company or a family vacation home. Rather, they say, the most important part of their legacy will be their values and wisdom and experience and history and connection. And those are the things they really want to transfer. So when we think about the transfer of wealth, what do we really mean by that? Well, by wealth, I think we should really approach this broadly. It's not just money. It's those values and wisdom that I just mentioned. And then by transfer, we shouldn't just be thinking about a gift or a bequest like A gives to B. We should be thinking about the sharing of that wealth, the transition of that wealth from one party to the other. And there's lots of ways to accomplish that. But obviously this problem of the transfer of wealth is really, really tricky. Recall episode one, where I opened with billionaire Warren Buffett's famous quote. He said, you should leave your children enough so they can do anything, but not enough so they can do nothing. Or as I would paraphrase it, I'd say, you should leave your beneficiaries enough and in such a way so that they feel like they can do anything, but not enough and in such a way so that they feel like they can do nothing. And Buffett's famous estate plan leaves the bulk of his fortune to charities. That's what he shared uh, with the public. And we just finished an an episode on Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis and their plan of leaving all to charity, but meanwhile enabling loans to the children. And it's fun to talk about these broad strategies. But those kinds of comments of Buffett and Kutcher and Kunis just emphasize how hard it is to accomplish these goals, how hard it is to use wealth to facilitate great things without enabling laziness and entitlement. But there's good news. There is someone out there who is doing really well at the transfer of wealth. There is someone out there who has this down. And that person actually isn't the parent and it isn't the grandparent. It's a person once removed, someone I call the rich relative. Sometimes in my talks, I use the hypothetical of a rich uncle or a rich aunt. So you might hear me use those terms or in other contexts, but I don't wanna be gender specific. So I tend to use the term rich relative. I also don't wanna be generation specific because a rich rich relative could be an uncle or an aunt, but it could be a great uncle or great aunt or a cousin Or actually, it could be a family friend with no blood relation. It could even be a coach or a teacher. It seems that the key to the rich relative is that they are just a little removed. And perhaps the benefit is that there's no particular expectation that this person would look out for you. Hopefully, you've had a rich relative in your life. 
this is a person who's really good at transferring, or perhaps we should say sharing wealth, or perhaps we should say wealth most broadly defined. They share information and wisdom and relationships. Sure, this kind of person might also share money, but think about how. It's often not big gifts every year. They might just buy you lunch from time to time. They might take you out to play golf, or they might let you have a hand-me-down jacket or tie. It's small gifts and experiences, like maybe being able to use his or her vacation home for a weekend. Sure, the rich relative occasionally might give you funds, but often it's in the case of loans and not indefinite loans. It's what we call bridge loans, perhaps to start a business or buy a house, but with the expectation of being paid back. The rich relative might help with school, but there's really no expectation that they will. And in fact, we find in terms of education, the real benefit of this kind of rich relative is not just that they would help with the funds, but they would share their wisdom and experience about the school experience itself and navigating classes and internships and social groups. The rich relative might help with emergency expenses if you really need those sorts of funds. But this is sort of a true emergency. And by the way, it's hard to live your life counting on the rich relative. And what's interesting is that all of this happens when the rich relative is alive. When the rich relative dies, there are no more fireside chats, no more opportunities to pick his or her brain, and you know, no more taking you out to lunch. But again, there's good news. The rich relative can live on. How is that? Well, that's through the appropriately structured estate plan. For the ongoing transfer of wealth, the rich relative can set up a, tr a trust to carry on the ways that he or she would want to benefit those individuals. Well, for the transfer of non-monetary wealth, that's trickier, but there are ways to leave that kind of wisdom and guidance through what we call an ethical will or a letter of wishes. That'll be the subject, subject of another episode. And then importantly, anyone can be a rich relative. You could even be a rich relative to your own children. So we'll revisit this concept of the rich relative in more detail later. You can imagine that I really like talking about the rich relative and how their perspective might inform an estate plan. So here's the takeaway. Here's the thought exercise, which is how we try to end these episodes. First of all, and I don't want to forget this, think about the rich relative in your life, especially that relative who is rich in wisdom and lessons and perspective. If you have a rich relative, then congratulations. I encourage you to call them and thank them and spend time with them. And by the way, don't call them the rich relative, uh, but just call and thank them and continue to use them as that sounding board, that resource for all these non-monetary things in your life. And second of all, think of yourself as the rich relative. How can you be a rich relative for others? It's just a useful perspective. For example, you might be considering setting aside funds for your child's education upon your death. Well you might find it helpful to think about how would a rich relative approach education? Is that a useful model to incorporate in some way? Similarly, how would you even define your own wealth? What is it that you really would hope to transfer or to share? And while we're at it, how well are you doing at transferring that during life and upon death? So I call these talks the rich relative playbook. The big takeaway is how can you incorporate the success of the rich relative at transferring wealth into your own life and your own planning? That's tricky, and we'll unpack that in future episodes. I'm Steve Murphy, 
And this has been Legacy Planning Once Removed, my podcast on thoughtful estate planning.